Come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. Hello, friends, and Happy New Year to you all. Welcome to the What's Essential podcast, and thank you for being here. Really, thank you for investing in yourself, for joining us in the first episode of 2022. I hope you've had a marvelous holiday, a great Christmas, and had a chance to do a little reset at least to think about what's essential for you in this coming new year. One of my New Year's resolutions is to be more centered, especially in my communication with other people. And to be centered is a challenge, I think, for people right now. Perhaps it's a challenge for you in what the military calls a VUCA world. That is a world that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. How do we figure out what's important now? How do we get centered into the most important work and relationships of our lives so that we don't just get pulled into all of the trivial many? And to help us with that conversation, we have the perfect New Year's guest, Chip Conley, a successful entrepreneur in his own right. He's also been the chief advisor to the CEO and also the other founding members of Airbnb. What you're going to learn in this episode is how to focus on what's important now. That is, to use the nice acronym, to win even in uncertain times. And that's something that's so relevant right now to all of us. Just listen as we discover the things that Chip helped that founding executive team to do to focus on what mattered amidst all the different opportunities and uncertainties they were faced with. So let's get right into that now. Tell us how we officially met. We officially met at Airbnb because I had recommended you as as someone else on the team as a speaker at our one Airbnb employee event. Part of the challenge at Airbnb when I joined was we were going in way too many different directions at once. So we had 30 strategic initiatives when I joined in early 2013. Wow. And by September, um, as the head of strategy and head of global hospitality and also the mentor to Brian, the CEO, we had gotten it down to four. But having you come and talk to the company around essentialism allowed us to get clear on our priorities. One thing that I think is interesting is that Brian said to me, my number one concern for the company is that we're doing too many things. That's true. He said to me, I can see it as a threat to our success, to our ability to to go forward. I mean, I have sometimes thought about that conversation as the epitome of the success paradox in essentialism, that as you become more successful, you'll have more options and opportunities. But if you're not disciplined about how you handle those, they can become a catalyst for failure for the entire enterprise. And we can see companies that that's happened to. So that's the first thing that's interesting to me. The second thing is that you successfully went from 30 to four. Can you talk about 
how you did that really? Sure. Let's start by saying that Airbnb is a beautiful example of essentialism. And it is that it is true back when I joined in early 2013 that we needed to go to from 30 to four, which I'll talk about in a moment. But also when the pandemic came along, Airbnb was on the verge of not being a business anymore. This totally. was spring of 2020. And, and Brian, and with me helping to sort of be a, a mentor by, uh, at, his, at his side, he came to the conclusion that there were a whole collection of new businesses that the company was going to go into. And he wanted to get, he got rid of those and went back to the core business, which was, um, you know, home sharing and uh, alternative accommodations. Hmm. So the company has, you know, when in doubt, come back to it's the right place and look at how successful the company is in terms of its valuation. It is more worth more than Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, and Four Seasons combined. So take us through chapter one. So chapter one, in terms of when I was brought in, here was this company, Airbnb, a young tech startup that was disrupting an industry and no one in the company had any history with that industry. And that's the hospitality and travel business. <laughs> right. And, and nobody, had, frankly, had ever really run a very large company. And so I had started a boutique hotel company when I was 26 and ran it for 24 years called Joie de Vivre. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, sold it. And I, that's how I ended up at Airbnb because I had space in my life. So the first week I joined, I said to, to Brian, show me what the strategic initiatives are, or at least tell me what they are. He says, I could never tell you what they are. I can't remember what they are. And I said, well, Brian, if you can't remember them, then how does the average employee remember them? He said, well, we have a list. And I said, well, okay. And there was a list of 30 strategic initiatives. Something that Brian shared with me is that when they first got together, these three co-founders, I mean, they're exploring everything. Their ideas for possible businesses ranged all over the place. One of them was for political-themed cereal. The idea was to go to the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention, and the cereal would be there, themed around the colors of those political parties. When you go from that and then you say, well, actually, maybe we can rent out space on an air mattress in our own apartment. They had a 90-day period before the a funders conference, and they wanted to demonstrate that they could be ramen profitable by that time. Meaning, if they three of them ate only ramen noodles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for that 90-day period, that they could show that the business was technically profitable by the time that this conference was going on. He said that was the most focused he has ever been in the company. <laughs> and so that's sort of chapter zero. You can see what happens. It proliferates. They've got these 30 different objectives. Please continue now into chapter one. Sure. And and so we had a leadership team. And one of the things that we tried to get clear on is what is it that we what business are we in? Peter Drucker, long ago, the management theorist, said the most important question any organizational leader can ask is what business are you in? So I set up an exercise where we had the three founders and seven other senior executives in groups of two. And I would ask Brian the question in a private room where, and with just the two of us and the other eight people were in other private rooms, Brian, what business are we in? And he would say, we're in the home sharing business. And I say, I'd say, Brian, thank you. What business are we in? And we did a repeating question five times, and you could not answer the same way twice. Once he had gotten to his fifth answer, then it was my turn. That actually helped us to get clear on the essential 
nature of what our business was, was we were in the belong anywhere business. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. So Belong Anywhere became our mantra and our way of thinking about everything we did from that time forward. You have this five levels. You can't share the same answer twice. I love that. It'd be your turn. You would do it again. Then each of the different pairs are doing this. You would then, what, collect all of the answers together or you get everyone back yep. in a room together, share the answers? We all come back into the room. Each of us say the best one of the five that we think we came up with. No one had said belong anywhere. But based upon all 10 of us coming back in the same room, the idea that Airbnb and homes are everywhere got us to the point where we said belong anywhere is going to be our anthem that differentiates us and in essence says that is what is the essence of this business. Did you find that out in that first meeting where you'd all just done those things? We didn't at that meeting. It was not long after that, that we actually said, that's it. It's now you were the facilitator through all of these sessions, yes? Well, yes, I was I was a facilitator for much of them, I, but I also was a senior executive. Right, you, you're in it as well. Talk to us now about chapter two, because in the midst of all of this, you know, this tremendous level of success, right? Uh, right idea, right time. Now they've got the right focus. It's generating this massive transformation. If, if I'm understanding it right, when the pandemic hit was the year that Airbnb was to go public and everything's looking great. I mean, in January, February, this is like literally going to be the public offering of the year and the pandemic hits. Yes. So recognize, first of all, that um, over 50% of Airbnb's business is international travelers. So it's people going across a border. And the pandemic basically meant no one was crossing borders anymore. So that was that was number one. Number two is very few people were traveling. So uh, the whole travel industry uh, was hurt by that. Number three is Airbnb had bulked up for growth 
um, that was anticipated in 2020 and was planning on doing a spring or summer IPO. Um, and then, you know, we start seeing the early signs of challenges in, uh, in China and then in uh, places like Spain and Italy. And lo and behold, you know, a pandemic is announced on March 11th, 2020. And by May of 2020, Airbnb had to make the decision to lose, unfortunately, 25% of our employees, lose all of our, all of our consultants, um, and take out some very expensive loans to make sure we had enough cash in the bank to go through this difficult time. We needed to react with not caution, but with decisiveness. One of the things that Brian and I talked about during that time was we got to be resilient. So it really meant we had to like trim our sales in terms of our costs. Resilience buys you time and adaptability buys you a future. So the adaptability is what Airbnb did mid-spring and early summer because Airbnb as a tech platform could actually monitor on a daily basis where demand was starting to, sh to shift. And of course, the demand was shifting from international to domestic travel and often local travel and often whole homes as opposed to shared homes um, and often in locations that were pretty remote where people could feel like they weren't around a lot of other people. And so all of those changes made it such that within about four or five months, Airbnb was doing about the comparable business it had done the year before, whereas the hotel industry was still down 60 or 70%. And that is why by December of 2020, just what, eight months after the uh, eight or nine months after uh, the pandemic was announced, Airbnb did an IPO that led to a valuation of $100 billion. So, I mean, this is what a year. And, and 2021 has been a year where that essentialism focus um, has continued uh, and, and led to Airbnb's value going up even more. Being able to go public, did that mean that all the debts were just immediately paid off that had been taken yes. on earlier in the year? So that was immediately gone. So yes. within one year, you have got rid of these. I mean, those those debts were massive. How what what were the They're, level yeah. of the of those those incurred debts? Well, at the time, they seemed massive because the valuation of the company was plummeting. The company might be worth fifteen, eighteen billion, and the uh, debts were a little over two billion. But what was painful was the the interest on those debts. Uh, it was not so much that as much the interest on the debt was very high, and therefore, um, you know, you don't you don't want to have debt like that for very long. But when you get a valuation of a hundred billion dollars and you go from fifteen to eighteen billion to a hundred billion in less than a year, you have the ability to pay off expensive debt. Yes, but unbelievable. You, but, but but that would not. I mean, the point of the story is not to say you should be taking on a lot of debt during a during a downturn. But if debt creates resilience. And resilience gives you time for adaptability, and you are a data company that helps. Mm. The number one thing every hotel company needs to do is to actually hire a lot more data scientists, because actually the world of data is is really how you keep track of the pulse of your customers. Well, what you would normally say in hospitality is that you would keep your pulse on your customers by talking to them, but... What you're saying is that you have to also digitally listen. Deep digital listening means that you have to be gathering data and understanding the behavior of your customers when they're not with you and mm -hmm. what causes them to be with you when they are with you. And, and of course, you have the advantage with Airbnb being such a digital platform 
you know, right from the beginning. What's the takeaway that somebody can apply to their business, uh, to their family, to the decisions they're trying to make? Well, I think one key message here could be um, when things get challenging, it's the most important time for essentialism. Being able to focus at a time where the world is falling apart is an essential practice of a great leader. You mentioned before that Brian and the team eliminated a series of product services initiatives at the time of the pandemic hitting. That's correct. Things like flights. Airbnb was not going to create an airline, but Airbnb was looking at how we could create a whole new approach to how people book their flights and maybe even some kinds of charter flights that would be appropriate and affordable. But that went by the wayside because that was a future product that was not actually going to generate net income in the short term. I don't think it was going to necessarily improve the brand over time to the mass audience that Airbnb was reaching out to. Actually, that's a really great illustration because that's something that maybe somebody outside of Airbnb isn't going to immediately appreciate why somebody inside Airbnb would think that was a really good idea. But when you're working at the kind of scale that Airbnb is, things that seem unreasonable to outside can be very reasonable inside. If you have the capital, if you have the growth, if you're looking to expand and you say, well, where can we go? Well, the, you know, people are already having to travel to all of these houses. Well, how can we disrupt that industry too? In a sense, what I hear you saying is that the pandemic turned out to be a tremendous opportunity. It actually strengthened the core to the point that you didn't just survive as a company but actually we're able to hit the IPO in uh, maximum strength. Yes. And Brian deserves an enormous amount of credit. There's a lot of pressure on him for us to, as a company, look more like booking.com, which booking does everything. They have experiences and they have flights. Well, the truth is, you know, booking has had a really rough pandemic as well, partly because they're probably a little too disparate. The key story here is that it takes wisdom to be able to distill down all of the possibilities into what is essential. Yeah. And if I had to choose a new word, even though I recognize why wisdom is a good word to choose there, it's like conflict <laughs> is the price. <laughs> I'm going to push back because I think embracing conflict alone doesn't tell you what is the superpower that allows you to take it down to what's essential. Because there's a lot of things embracing conflict. <laughs> you have to have an operating system for how you take the conflict and the choices and then get clear on what's essential. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot of richness that I'm implying in the word conflict today. What I, one of the things that I had to learn for myself was I have spent my life being a can-do-it kind of person. You know, there's a, a when I had Joie de Vivre and I was CEO for 24 years at the hotel company, I gave away the book, The Little Engine That Could, to every single employee in the company, 3,500 employees, because The Little Engine That Could was the one that the little children's book said you can get up the hill and up the hill and then you get to the other side and, and against all odds you can make it. Well, to be a can-do-it person says I can do it, but to be a conduit person is moving from the idea of I can do it alone to the idea that I am a channel and I am a um, I am the conduit that helps people make great decisions. And that is a, a major shift in my career and my life over the last 10 years. And it's what you're trying to help the, the leaders around you do as well. That's what you're really advocating for. That's exactly right. Can do it 
in comparison feels well a sort of there's an immaturity to the to the can do it theme but but at the same time that's a little too negative because there's just a period of life that i think is about can you do it you know can you just work and make it happen (laughs) it's that ego it's that ego again Mm. i mean the ego the ego says i can do it the egos and and again there's a positive side to that but if you actually take that into the second half of your career or life it means you're the person who does not you're not the conduit for wisdom to other people you don't channel great leadership so other people know how to make great decisions you have to be the hero and great leaders recognize that being heroic all of the time actually diminishes all of the other leaders around them yeah it's a shift between something like i can to we will or, or, or oh, you know, something like that. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. This theme of heroics is is one that's very much on my mind of late, basically because of the research and writing of Effortless. Because when you have people who want to have 10x results, but they can't work 10x harder, which is like basically every single person listening to this conversation, you want better results, you want to accomplish more, contribute more, but you don't have 10 times the effort available. You can't work 10 times harder. But the problem is, is that I found that lots of people try to because they think there's only one path to better results. But then you get to a point where you're running out of space, you're teetering right on the edge of exhaustion, and everything will start feeling harder than it really ought to. Well, what do you do? And it's like in that moment, you either fail at some level, uh, you start to not be successful at things you wish you were, or you find an easier, smarter path. And and that's what you're describing here is the shift from mm. can do it to conduit. My role shifts. It's one of the things that we do at uh, the Modern Elder Academy. Tell me about the, the Modern Elder Academy. So when I finished four years uh, with Brian and Airbnb, when I moved from that full-time role, I went down to Southern Baja, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. And I started working on a book, my fifth book, which is called Wisdom at Work, The Making of of a modern elder. Going for a run on the beach, I had a Baja aha. I had an epiphany. And my epiphany was, why do we have no schools or tools or rites of passage or ritual for people in midlife to understand how to cultivate and harvest their wisdom and maybe repurpose it in new ways? And so that's when we created uh, MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, because at Airbnb, they called me the Modern Elder. And um, we've now had 1,750 uh, students or alumni from 28 countries, and we have 25 regional chapters around the world. So there certainly is a need for people to reimagine how they want to repurpose themselves in their 40s or their 50s or 60s or even younger or older. Uh, And we live in a world where we're constantly accumulating knowledge, but what's really scarce in the world is wisdom. And helping people to understand how to be wiser and how to cultivate that wisdom and be more discerning is part of what we help them with. We go through a series of exercises during the day that help people to see what mindsets, ways of thinking, what things in their life they're ready to edit. We do something called the Great Midlife Edit. And the Great Midlife Edit helped them to see that this is the time because the first half of your life is about accumulating knowledge and things and relationships and work. The second half of your life moves from accumulating to editing. And learning how to be discerning about what no longer serves you and you need to actually cut out of your life because it isn't essential anymore 
is one of the most important parts of what it means to be in midlife. You know, we've misnamed midlife as a crisis, but instead it's really editing process. We call it the midlife awakening or the midlife calling when people actually realize what's essential in midlife and beyond and they invest in that. Yeah, that's so well said. I love the phrase the great midlife edit. What a what a terrific thing. What what specifically do you recommend people do? Like what is that process? First of all, to understand what a mindset is. Mindset could be a fixed mindset, could be a growth mindset. When you're in a fixed mindset, you tend to be looking at proving yourself and you define success as winning. And so you can help a person to see, yes, this is something I I think I am I have a fixed mindset on because I don't really care about learning anything more. I just care about winning and getting recognition for it. But in you know, as people to start to realize what's important to them, they might move move into the growth mindset. And instead of focusing on how do I prove myself? You focus on how do I improve myself? And instead of focusing on winning, you focus on learning. Yeah. When when you say it's the great midlife edit, it really sounds like the great mindset edit. Oh, so that's so true. So true. I love that. I like that too for a couple of reasons because, of course, you don't have to wait for a midlife no. moment, although, of course, that is a very – particular kind of inflection period people go through. Right now, no matter what stage someone's at, no matter where they are in their journey, they can start looking at what are the dominant mindsets that I have held on to and mm -hmm. which ones can I eliminate? How does somebody discover the mindsets they currently have? <laughs> uh, great question. We do a few exercises that help people to understand what it is that is most ailing them. So some of those questions relate to what is it that you'd feel like you're not very good at? Or what is it that you used to be good at that you're not very good at anymore? And where where is it that you find a certain amount of guilt or shame in how you show up in the world and it doesn't feel quite good to you? I mean, it's some pretty deep and, and penetrating questions. More than anything, pain, especially emotional pain, is a real good indicator for something that's not working. And, and it's time to try something different. Yeah, you said a couple of really interesting things there. One was this tangible way to get to your mindset is just what's not working in your life. And the second thing, I was just sent a, an interesting article uh, published in uh, the American Society of Psychology. Uh, it's a brand new research that shows, contrary to what people expect, if you have a deep conversation with a stranger, you will enjoy that experience more than if you have a shallow conversation with them. The way the world the world tends to work is we get to know each other from the outside in, what we look like, what color of our skin, gender, etc., how we dress, how we talk. And and when you get to know people from the outside in, you you have a tendency to make prejudgments. Uh, and so getting to know people from the inside out is a whole different ball game. Because you don't, you know, when people come to a, a modern elder academy workshop, average age of people is fifty four, but we've had people as young as in their twenties and as old as eighty eight. They are no one is reading each other's LinkedIn profiles. No one even knows each other's last name, um, and so you start to get to know people from the inside out, and it's fascinating how quickly you build an intimate, uh, trusting. And frankly, generative relationship with people when you start the relationship that way. Mm, I just love that. I love the visual that creates of, of getting to know people from the 
outside in versus the inside out. Uh, I'm seeing sort of two concentric circles and the outside, what you see, what's obvious uh, and, and what, you know, that's where any prejudice exists and not just not just of the usual categories we think of as with prejudice, but any kind of prejudice. Just thinking you know about somebody when you don't. Mm-hmm. Right. I have loved our conversation. It's sped by for me. Uh, I couldn't love more the, the language that you've described, the great midlife edit. I'm fascinated by the programs that you've created. I'm delighted to have the excuse to talk with you today. Chip Conley, the modern mm-hmm. Elder, thank you. Thank you for being on the What's Essential podcast. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for reminding us what's essential. Well, we've come to that time again, the end of the show. Thank you for being here, for investing in yourself, for investing in what's essential. And this conversation with Chip Conley, I hope, has been helpful in helping you to discern what's important now so that you can pursue that all the way through 2022. As a thank you to you, the first five people who write a review of this episode on Apple Podcasts will receive a signed copy of Effortless. Make it easier to do what matters most. Just take a screenshot of your review, send it to info at gregmcewen.com. That's I-N-F-O at G-R-E-G-M-C-K-E-O-W-N.com with your address And if you're one of the first five people to do it, then you will receive your signed copy of Effortless. Really, again, thank you and see you next week for the What's Essential podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.